Karlsson, Karlsson, världens bästa Karlsson. Karlsson, Karlsson, hoj här kommer Karlsson. Karlsson, Karlsson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Karlsson vill jag så bra som mig. Karlsson, Karlsson, Karlsson scores! Karlsson, All right, I'm not here with the beat writer, I'm here with Brian, so I can really give her. Another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest-running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who just got totally McDavided and Drysidled in round two of the Keeping Carlson Playoff Pool, and we're both eliminated. Ah, what a shame! I'm your host, Dylan Dubrowski, and with me, as always, is not a beat writer for some boring old NHL team. He is the fantasy beat writer for the entire NHL, the rock star of fantasy hockey himself, Brian Com. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. I'd say uh, I'm the fantasy beat writer of the whole NHL. And I will say that I'm a, I'm a rock star. Thanks. I really appreciate that. Yeah, so the first time, I, yeah, like I, I have that rock star attitude, don't I? Well, yeah, you always, you know, we schedule the recording for eight thirty. You waltz in around eight forty, being like, "All right, guys, let's how you do it." Wait one sec, let me just. All right, let's do this, guys, and then, and then you knock out an amazing show, right? Because that's the attitude you have to have. You're like the Mick Jagger of fantasy hockey. So yeah, that's if I started on time, one. like your favorite band, it wouldn't be as good a show. Yeah, it but be cool. it's on time for you because you've downloaded this at the precise moment that you want to listen to it. And we're happy to be here for you in your moment of need and desire to bring you some really good stuff. Like, Elon, you prepped this show more like a, a regular one. It's been a little while since we've done sort of our regular shtick here where you bring up the player and what we're noticing and I go and give some analysis. I think I've got some really fun tidbits on this week's Ooh. show. Some fun fantasy tidbits. Shout out to Matt in the chat. And uh, we're really happy to be here. By the way, keepingcarlson.com slash live if you ever want to be here for the live show experience. It's not for everybody, but it might be for you. Uh, just like don't show up necessarily at the time the podcast is scheduled because as Brian said, that's not for you. That He just wants to make sure it's coming to the you know the downloading listeners at the time that they need. But okay, Brian, I'm, I'm happy that you're happy with the slate that we have to talk about. This is actually going to be a bit of like a two-part episode, I think, because originally I was thinking that we would do a live Keeping Carlson Playoff Pool round three draft today. But of course, the Rangers had to win yesterday to push it to a game seven. So we're actually going to be recording a separate show on uh, I think like Tuesday evening, uh, four of the 20 uh, round three finalists are going to come back and we're going to draft for the next round of the playoff pool. So that'll be fun. Uh, but in the meantime, I thought Brian and I could catch up. You know, a lot has happened in the playoffs. We so have a lot of results. And you know how it is. It's like in the playoffs, on one hand, we say we don't want to read too much into it in terms of fantasy and like learning about things for next year. But on the other hand, I mean, this hockey game is being played and we should talk about like maybe there are some tidbits that Brian will be like, you know what? I am starting to change my opinion about this player. Or this is like an interesting guy that we haven't talked talked about in a while and so we'll go through some of the standouts from the playoffs a bunch of players who are doing like amazingly and then maybe we'll end also with some players who really disappointed us uh so we'll get to that in just a moment of course first let's mention the keeping carlson very proudly presented by dauberhockey.com the number one fantasy hockey website in the world all throughout the playoffs all throughout the summer it's your place you know frozen tools i use that to prep the show i love it it's the best place in the world dauberhockey.com 
Uh, but with that, Brian, actually, before we started, uh, the last time we did a show, or maybe a couple shows ago, I don't even remember at this point, well, what is time? But you talked about some of your thoughts on the first couple beat writer interviews. Uh, you've recently listened to my Vancouver interview with Harmon Dial. Uh, did you have any takeaways from that that you're going to be taking forward into next year's fantasy drafts? Well, first off, it was a fantastic interview, Elon. I'm almost caught up on the full series at this point. If you're not, you're listening. Uh, I highly encourage you. I've still got uh, Ben with the Devils and your interview with Shen. Uh, so Ben talked to Shana Goldman about the New Jersey Devils and you, Elon, talked to Sheng Peng about the San Jose Sharks. So I'm going to catch up on those. But for now, yeah, I really enjoyed your interview with Harmon. He's a great interview. He knows so much and is so happy to share it, thankfully for us. Uh, but the guy I wanted to know most about was Connor Garland, who had such an up and down season, like was so hot at the start, and then did absolutely nothing for a long time to the point that he wasn't rostered in a lot of fantasy leagues, he was being dropped and streamed. And then uh, towards the end of the season, he picked up his game again and started going on a terror rewarding anybody who was like the last one in on him, uh, if he had been dropped to free agency. And I wanted to know, like, can we depend on this guy to do much going forward? Like, were the hot streaks luck? Or was the slump bad luck? And Harmon's answer to me, Elon, like my impression of Connor Garland, because I've never never been sure where to land on him, because we've never seen him in like a really sustained position to succeed. And even when he does get those long runs, he doesn't always succeed consistently in them. So I just want to know, how much can I rely on this guy? And is there some unknown upside? And the takeaway I came away with was that Garland is probably like he's going to be a top six guy in Vancouver, but there's not much room for him on the power play, which means I I think, tell me if I'm wrong, Elon, but my expectations for Garland are capped around 60 points. And I think like he could be like a mid 50s, uh, maybe low 60 point player. Uh, in the following years, just because, yeah, there's no room for him on that top unit, but he is a useful top six piece, and he probably is going to get to play with either Pedersen or Bo Bo Horvat. So um, that's my first takeaway. And then my next question for you is, how do you see him in comparison to Bo Horvat? If you have them both on the table for your fantasy draft, because Horvat has kind of been, last year was really tough for him, but he's always sort of been this unsung pretty solid fantasy guy and garland is uh, he seems to have a little more upside but i'm not sure who i'd go with so elon your take on garland and then garland versus horvat from from what you got out of Harmon. yeah i think my takeaway from the interview was also like it doesn't seem like garland has a good path to get on the top power play i guess we'll see like what trades they make in the summer if they end up moving jt miller or something like that obviously that would change things uh for now i think i would take bo horvat just because he seems like a good safe choice i guess it depends you know like in fantasy there there's different points in the draft right you're sometimes you're swinging for upside sometimes you're just wanting to get a solid player uh but i think at the point where I, I, I feel like Bo Horvat's just a really solid player to have. Obviously, if you're in a league with faceoffs, it's not even a question. But like in a league like the couple, yeah, Garland was a free agent at points during the season, and I didn't grab him. So you know, I, I remember actually I drafted him in the couple, and I then regretted trading him away from Martin Nechas because Nechas was doing nothing for a while. In the end, at one point, Nechas and Garland were both in free agency, so it turned out not to be a big deal one way or the other. So yeah, I think I'll take Horvat. Uh, and see, like, Garland seems like a good player, but it seems like he's more like a middle six. I don't even know if it's, like, top six, you know? Like, I could see him sl- uh, slotting into the, the third line sometimes, and it seems like the top power play isn't necessarily where he's going to go, but we'll see what happens next year. Obviously, it's the kind of situation where a guy like that, given the right opportunity, we don't know. Maybe he could have a much higher ceiling. 
Yeah, and it's interesting because I've always found myself too low on Garland. So I was trying to be a little more optimistic after what I heard and be like, yeah, top six. But I'm, I'm actually glad for you to sort of hedge that with maybe he does fall into the middle six occasionally, especially because uh, Hoaglander, who Harmon also mentioned, like go back and listen to the full interview, but, you know, gave some credit to Hoaglander, even though last year seemed disappointing fantasy wise. Uh, he's doing okay on his, you know, his general development curve. And then the other thing that stood out to me, Elon, which we already kind of had a sense of, but Harmon gave some like pretty valuable context to was about Brock Besser and the struggles he had off the ice this season and how much they really impacted him and what we can expect from him next season, assuming he's still a Canuck, right? There's so many trade rumors uh, going around about the Canucks. It's funny because you asked that question also about JT Miller, whether he can be a, a hundred point player again, like if we're seeing the breakout of a true superstar and uh, I thought Herman's answer, I don't know, should I spoil the whole interview for anyone? If you haven't listened, go now, go listen to the interview and hear what he has to say about JT Miller and, and decide, like, I would rather you ask Pedersen or JT Miller. And I, I think I'd take, it's, it's really tricky. I think I'd take Elias Pedersen. Yeah, Pedersen does seem like the real like superstar potential guy, like long term. Uh, but yeah, maybe it is also a ceiling floor thing. Also, like Miller, just it would be cool to see one more year of him putting up the numbers like he did. But like I said, at this point, maybe we should have actually waited <laughs> to do this interview about the Canucks because maybe there's a lot in flux. And yeah, Besser, another one of these players who you know uh, these are humans, right? And so he was dealing with his dad being sick, and, and this is obviously something that's going to impact you emotionally, and that, and that could potentially also impact you at work, no matter. What what your job is so we'll see if besser is a different player next year assuming he's a canuck well either way he'll be in the nhl of course uh, okay so that's canucks talk uh thanks for uh giving us your thoughts brian and now yeah let's get into some playoff talk we're almost two rounds down we just have the rangers and and hurricanes playing their game seven tomorrow which should be fun in the meantime i wanted to look through some of the players who have been like at the top of the list in terms of you know fantasy points per game and of course uh number one i shouldn't even say fantasy points just points per game mcdavid and dry holy cow after that demolition of the calgary flames and it's like almost you could say like these two guys single-handedly like obviously it's a team effort but geez like it almost annoys me a little bit because last summer i feel like we were critical of some of the moves the oilers made in the summer specifically like trading for duncan keith and now they're like going far i'm sure that management is thinking oh look at us we're so smart but i don't know how much is is that is the moves they made like hyman is really working out i don't want to poo-poo that move but yeah this like mcdavid dry pair unbelievable they now each have 26 points in 12 games that's an 178 point pace if this was like a regular season i was looking at the records gretzky has the record for most points in a single playoffs he had 47 points in 1984 85 in only 18 games which is pretty wild and so like i said so gretzky at 47 mcdavid and dry each are at 26 through two rounds so if you do the math if they could get by colorado which is obviously a very big if but if they get by colorado then they have two rounds left. And if they could double it, that would be 52. That would break the record. So do you think that this is something that could happen? Like if you had some, I don't know, spare money that you want to throw a bet on, would you be happy to uh, bank on McDavid and Dreisaitl potentially approaching that record of Gretzky's 47 points in 84-85? It's really like poor, well, not poor Wayne Gretzky. He just wants to be known for selling a betting app right now, I guess. But uh, we, we hadn't talked about his records for years, and now we're talking about Ovechkin chasing him in one unt- what seemed like one untouchable record, and now we're talking about Wayne Gretzky uh, having another record in peril. By the way, the year that Wayne Gretzky set 
his record, uh, the 47 points in 18 games, uh, came uh, in 1984-1985. Uh, so it was the, the playoffs of 1985. The Oilers went 15-3 in the playoffs. And that's right, you only needed 15 wins to get the cup in those days because the first series was a best of five. So the Kings, I'm like, how did they play only 18 games in the playoffs? So they swept LA in the three game series and then Winnipeg. And then they beat Chicago in six and then beat the Flyers for the cup in five, uh, which is pretty wild. And we see already that, you know, there's a decent chance McDavid and Drysaddle are going to get at least 18 games in, right? They just need to take Colorado to at least six to do it. So that would be at least fair to really measure up, you know, if McDavid and Drysaddle can catch Gretzky for this record. Though, also, it's not just about getting the same amount of games for them. You have to take into account the scoring differences in each era. And perhaps uh, McDavid and Drysaddle deserve a couple extra games to try and make it happen because it's harder to score in today's NHL. But uh, as you said, even in today's NHL, those two are already pacing to somehow beat Wayne Gretzky's record. So how are they doing it? The, well, LA's goaltending was definitely suspect in the first round, and Calgary uh, should have been better in their own zone against Edmonton. The way they played all season was much better in their own zone, both defensively and uh, from Jacob Markstrom himself. But neither of those pillars really held up in the playoffs for various reasons. Also, another big takeaway related to McDavid and Dreisaitl in that series is one thing uh, Daryl Sutter and the Flames tried to do was go power on power, like top line versus top line. And McDavid and Dreisaitl and Evander Kane just completely smoked that Flames top line. And they really didn't have much of an answer beyond that. Now, uh, for Edmonton, to for these guys to break Gretzky's record... They're looking at doing it against the Colorado Avalanche and Darcy Kemper, who himself has not looked particularly intimidating really at any point through these playoffs. So I think I think these guys have a chance to actually break the record. I think Edmonton actually has a chance like they like I said, they have to take Colorado to six. And I think uh, I think it could be a better series than I would have expected at the start of the season. Yeah, well, I mean, they have to take Colorado to six just to catch Gretzky's games. It's going to be a lot harder to actually catch those <laughs> those points. But yeah, it should be a fun yeah. series. It's insane to look like uh, in this, like what I said at the start of the show, right? Uh, we This Keeping Carlson playoff pool we've been doing, we redraft every round. And people were, uh, oh, and one uh, perk or like highlight of the league, maybe I don't know if this is a perk, but like if you do well in round one, it actually helps you a lot in round two because we don't do snake drafts. So the people who ranked higher in round one then get to draft, like, you know, if you get first overall pick in round two because you came first in your league that means you get also first pick in, in like every round of the draft and you know some people were saying oh maybe that's a bit too much of an advantage and we were sort of discussing on discord and saying yeah i mean come on like it's the playoffs so hard to predict really at the end of the day it just seems like it was such a monster advantage if you got and the thing is dry side oh, there were rumors that he might miss a game with an injury at the start so like some people might have gotten him pretty late but man if you got dry side oh, it was like almost like bad if you lost <laughs> we should look at the stats and see like he had uh, at least three points in every game. He had three games with three points and two games with four points. That's a, a pretty outsized advantage, even though the series only went five games. So yeah, just insane watching these guys. Yeah, there's some other Oilers that are also putting up incredible numbers. Uh, like Evander Kane, you mentioned, 15 points in 12 games now. That's a 103-point pace. I don't know if these point paces are interesting, but just to give context of like what that would mean if he was doing that for a whole regular season. Uh, he had 39 points in 43 games in the regular season, Evander Kane did, uh, which is around a 70-point 
pay is like assuming he resigns with Edmonton next season. And I don't know, seems like a pretty good fit so far. I know other teams might be reticent to sign him for different reasons. Uh, and Edmonton clearly doesn't have that concern, especially now that he's helping them go on their longest playoff run in a while. Uh, do you think if, if Evander King goes back to Edmonton, do you think we should safely expect a 70 point floor? Like that's almost like a given. And then the question is more just like how high can he go? Like, can he actually put up these numbers like he's putting up in the playoffs? So I'd say 70 points is a is a fair floor for Evander Kane here. And sure, let's assume he signs with Edmonton because apparently Connor McDavid is advocating for that to happen. That's what, uh, you know, the rumor mill has to say about it. Why wouldn't McDavid be advocating for that? But the key thing to keep in mind here when we're trying to project Evander Kane based on what we're seeing now in the playoffs is that in the regular season, there was not a single night that Kane took the majority of his shifts with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. And now in the postseason, those two have been his most frequent line mates. He spent 50 minutes on the ice so far with both McDavid and Dreisaitl at even strength. His next most common combination is 42 minutes with McDavid and Jesse Pugliarvi instead of Leon Dreisaitl. So that's one piece why Evander Kane is going like off the way he is. He's really succeeding playing with McDavid and Dreisaitl, which isn't to take anything away from him, but it is something that we didn't see happen in the regular season, and I don't know that we'll see it continue when we see the regular season pick up again in 2022-23. The other piece is that Evander Kane has 12 goals on 51 shots these playoffs, so he's shooting at nearly a 25% conversion rate. That's about double his usual clip. So that also won't sustain. It's been a great run for Evander Kane, but he really is, to me, like this performance is not telling me that I need to rush out and like bump, be ready to bump him up my draft list. In fact, it's telling me that he might be someone that gets overdrafted next year and that others might be bumping him up their draft list, which is, in my opinion, that that could be a good thing. That's the way I'm seeing it. Like he looks more like somebody whose draft stock is going to be more inflated than someone who has actually legitimately upped his draft stock much beyond being a 70-ish point player. Right, okay. So I could see right now a lot of people seeing him Maybe I'm just going to throw a player out there, like maybe like a uh, Gensel, you know, like who also had a really great playoffs. And like, I could see people at this point wanting to draft Kane around where Gensel is getting drafted. And it sounds like you're saying you would like for sure rather take Gensel when we're in like the second round and and someone like that is being taken. I would. And maybe maybe I'm not being like maybe Kane stays with McDavid and Drysaddle in the regular season. I don't see that being a thing for the Oilers over 82 games. Um, And even if he doesn't, sure, yeah. Could he creep towards 80 points? For sure. It's definitely possible. He's been a really dominant player at times over the last couple seasons that he's played. Remember, his last season in San Jose was also fantastic. Mm -hmm. So I'm not trying to take anything away from him here. I'm just saying we're seeing certain situations right now that I don't expect to stay active when we get to the next season. So yeah, that's why. So that I would definitely prefer jake gensel like if someone's considering them in the same territory absolutely i take jake gensel yeah like i mean the oilers rarely keep the same line combinations for like five games in a row let alone a whole regular season so that's almost without a doubt uh yeah zach hyman also having a great series he's got 12 points in 12 games he scored in every game in the series versus calgary Uh, in that last game in game five a goal and two assists for hyman and seven shots so that's signing really looking like a winner of course it's the kind of thing where the money isn't that bad i think what is he making like 5.5 a year 
or something like that. But it's like it's the fact that they signed him to a seven year contract. So the Oilers taking a risk that he'll help them in the short term and they're willing to take that like penalty, you know, in the long term when he's, you know, like aging out a little bit. But in the meantime, like it sounds like they're getting exactly what they hoped for. Right. And uh, now also with him, if you look towards next season, he had a 58 point pace in the regular season this year. Would you take the over or the under for next year uh, after what you've seen in these playoffs? Oh, can I push? So you think exactly 58 is what he's going to do next year also. (laughs) Okay. If I had to guess, I'll I'll hit the over just by a smidge, but I don't think Zach Hyman is going to really over or underperform that number by a lot. I'm looking at his postseason production. His power play timeshare, like the percentage of minutes he's seeing, it's up a bit in the postseason, but it might just be noise uh, compared to the regular season. So him, I don't see a whole lot different. Uh, It's great. It's been great. He seems... I will say he seems like a playoff performer, and I know that's a cliche, and usually we don't go to those sort of conjectured cliches on the show, but this is a guy who, like, you see in every stride he takes and every way he moves his body on every single shift, he is so dialed in fighting every step of the way. So I, I he's the sort of guy who shines in the grind that the playoffs can be because he plays this way all season long. So I, I think he's getting that spotlight. Should it really impact his fantasy draft stock? I don't think so. But it's good to see him getting some recognition. Yeah, he's definitely going to be drafted lower, no matter what he does in the playoffs. Like last year, the hype was like outsized. You know, everyone was assuming Hyman was going to be locked in with McDavid or Dryside like all season long and on the top power play. Didn't exactly work out that way. Not a bad season, like not like this explosive season that people were expecting. But I could see him end up like, you know, if people who drafted him are now shy about taking him again, like that could be an opportunity. It'll be fun to talk to the Edmonton beat writer once they're done and see like what they think uh, is the future for the team. Obviously, we have to see what happens with the Evander Kane because he's going to be a UFA. Then uh, I guess I'll, I don't want to make this the Oilers show completely, but Ryan Nugent Hopkins also like 11 points in 12 games. It's just a lot of Oilers doing well you know it's funny I feel like all season you know we talked about guys like Pooley Arvin Yamamoto it's kind of like eh, kind of boring it's like but R&H like he was kind of boring at the end of the regular season and he really is stepping up in the playoffs so another guy that the Oilers signed to a long contract recently and looking pretty good right now it's been a pretty impressive performance from Ryan Nugent Hopkins considering that Evander Kane's gain playing with McDavid and Dreisaitl has been RNH's loss right because he's lost Dreisaitl as a line mate And that means that the majority of Nugent Hopkins' five-on-five minutes this postseason have been with... Can you name Elon? Do you know? Oh, he's been, like, on the third line, right? Like, who even is on this team? Is Zach Zach Cassian hasn't been playing. Archibald? Yeah, Uh, good one. Can you name the other? Fogel? (laughs) (laughs) No, he's he's on the other bottom six line. Uh, Derek Ryan. Right, of course. Yeah, I mean, Nugent... uh, Iron H has also seen a bunch of time with Pugliarvi and Hyman, but he's on the ice most often with Josh Archibald and Derek Ryan. So it's pretty amazing, to be honest, that he's putting up the numbers he is with these sort of line configurations. Uh, Three power play points have helped him out too. Uh, And I think he's just enough. I'd say he's similar to Hyman. What I'm seeing now isn't changing my outlook from next year, but it seems like these are at least a couple guys who do the work and never are kind of unsung for their contributions, maybe not in Edmonton, but around the league. And it's nice to see them finally uh, doing some big things in the in the national or continental spotlight. I got to be honest. I don't actually know what's going on with Zach Cassie. I don't know why I even brought him up. It's just funny. Like a couple of years ago, he was like a big deal, right? He was on the top line. He ended up getting this big contract. Is he being like healthy scratched? Or is he injured? Like, I, has he even been playing? I see that he got fined for a cross check of Sean Dursey back in the first series. Uh, but yeah, it's not not a name I've heard in round two. Anyway, 
Who cares? All right, let's move on to... Uh, <laughs> I think that's the bottom line. The fun part about this episode of Keeping Carlson is normally, you know, we're talking about players... Like, we want to give people advice during the regular season that they can actually use. And so talking about your McDavid's or this next guy I want to talk about, Sidney Crosby, you know, it's not too useful because these are players that are rostered and, you know, unlikely to be traded even. Uh, but, you know, in this episode now, it's fun to, like, just look at who, who are the best performers. And looking through the list of top performers in the playoffs so far, at least in terms of points per game, like, it's all the superstars. Like, it's pretty predictable almost uh, in a good way like it's fun to see our superstars being superstars and yeah Crosby had a great playoffs in his six games unfortunately it was too short but uh, yeah 10 points in six games uh, remember he missed a game um, but uh, yeah he, uh, he played six of the seven games versus the Rangers anyways he also had a really amazing regular season 84 points in 69 games it's a hundred point pace uh, this guy's 34 years old Sid the kid no longer a kid I guess that's not a hot take to say that anymore I'm sure there's like a million tweets that have said that uh, he's gonna be 35 in august so brian what are we gonna project for next season like he just put up a 100 point pace he's going to his age 35 season you'd think he's got to regress at some point but at the same time he's Sidney crosby he's not a normal nhl player like i'm looking at uh you know jake gensel who also had a great playoffs he had 10 points in seven games if you had to pick just to make a concrete question for you if you had to pick who's going to get more points next year between crosby and gensel who are you taking it's going to be close which i think is a big compliment to both crosby and gensel crosby just put up this top-notch 34-year-old season, uh, which, if you're just looking at the numbers, it was the 17th best performance from a 34-year-old ever in the NHL. Uh, but he only played 69 games. So if you adjust for the missed time and assume that Crosby holds pace over an 82-game season, then Crosby's age 34-point production ranks as the third-best ever behind only Mark Messier and Wayne Gretzky, who both outpaced Crosby by a smidge in the same season, 95-96, so almost 30 years ago. And I did the, I did my homework. I'm like, well, what did Messier and Gretzky do the next season? They followed up with similarly dominant age 35 seasons. Uh, but that was then, and this is now. Uh, and there are a few recent examples of 35-year-old players, because that's what Crosby will be next year, putting up 90-plus point paces. Uh, by the way, Quant Hockey, a really great place to look for this info. So I've got Marty St. Louis in 2010-11 had 99 points in 82 games. Daniel Alfredson had 89 points in 70 games as a 35-year-old in 2007-2008. Nice. Alfie. T- yeah, Timu Solani as a 35-year-old, 90 points in 80 games back in 05 06. And honestly, I don't see why Sidney Crosby would not join this group. And I think he probably has a shot at topping it. And that's what I'm excited to see. For me, it's not a question of can he have an elite 35-year-old season? It's can he have the best one we've ever seen? So that's what I'm hoping for. And that shows you where I stand on Sidney Crosby. Then I'm hoping for another 100-point season from him. And I think Jake Gensel is both a big part of that for Crosby and also a big uh, benefactor of it who's like the guy who benefits from it right that's a benefactor yeah beneficiary beneficiary Beneficiary. yeah benefactor is one who gives the the help right so okay so gensel both is benefactor and beneficiary he's he's the total package and so is crosby that's amazing man wayne gretzky uh getting a lot of call outs in this episode let's see if we uh get to him again at some point uh timo solani just randomly i at one point i was just looking through his career stats like reading his wikipedia i don't know why i just got curious about him he had like an odd 
career and that he was like a star. And then if you recall, he ended up going to Colorado. Like he was on Anaheim. Well, he's on Winnipeg. Then he went to Anaheim. Then he went to San Jose. Then he went to Colorado for one season and he stunk. He had 32 points in 78 games. Then he went to Anaheim, then had like two seasons above 90 points. It's pretty rare that you see that nowadays, right? A player go to like 30 and then up to 90. I'm trying to think of another example of someone who's done that in recent memory. There was a weird, that was a weird season, right? That was, was that 0304? Yeah, 0304, uh, 32 points in yeah. 78 games with Colorado. Yeah, so call, remember that was the season that Paul Correa and Timo Solani signed in Colorado together to both have amazing seasons. They were both coming off of like recent success. Correa was a point per game player the season before in Anaheim and now 29 years old in Colorado, 36 points in 51 games that year. So I and then went on to continue being a point per game player for Elon. Can you actually name Korea's next team? I couldn't have done this if you asked me to. After Colorado? Yeah, Colorado. Then it was a lockout. And Did then you go to Nashville? For- Nashville, right? Yeah. Yeah. Very I remember good. That. Look at I'm me. I'm very impressed. I was yeah, a hockey card uh, collector at the time. So I had yeah, that's so how that I would know. be it. And it, so he had two point per game seasons with Nashville and then a couple uh well, an injury short. Anyway, I don't need to go about Paul Correa. Paul Correa. I think his number's getting retired by the Ducks, by the way, which is great news. Yeah, well uh, but, earned. Uh, that, that was a strange I think there there are explanations or articles written about exactly what happened with Korea and Solani in this season that was supposed to go perfectly for them both, but didn't. Uh, Joe Sackick was the captain of that team too. So this was not a bad team, but yeah. neither one could get going. It could have, could have been like injuries or whatever. Anyways. Okay. Let's get back to uh, today's NHL. So we talked about Crosby. Let's talk about another superstar that had a great playoffs. And well, actually this one is still going Nikita Kucherov doing it again, 15 points in 11 games and counting. Uh, we haven't mentioned yet Tampa's complete domination of the Florida Panthers. Just unbelievable. Just to uh, take out the, you know, president's trophy winning team like that. Uh, is it just me though? Specifically about Kucherov. Like, I feel like we didn't report properly how awesome he was in the regular season. Like he missed some time. He came back. We we're like, Oh, it's exciting. Like Kucherov's back. He ended up having the second highest points per game in the whole league this season like mcdavid was at 1.54 points per game then you had kucherov at 1.47 and then matthews after him like you know i feel like we were just talking about like you know mcdavid matthews like mckinnon like who were the dry like who are the top but it's like kucherov is like right there he's like crushing it in the playoffs as well I don't know. I don't even have a question. Just wanted to throw it out there. Like Nikita Kucherov, if he's going to finally have a full healthy season, maybe next year, I wouldn't be surprised to see him in the Art Ross race. Like just like he he, he won an Art Ross a couple years ago. It seems hard to imagine someone not named McDavid or like a Dreisaitl like up there. But I think Kucherov is just, I don't want to say he's underrated. Like everyone knows that Kucherov is amazing, but just like, I don't know. I didn't realize he was second this year in points per game. Maybe underrated isn't the right word, but taken for granted could be he's one of those like Kucherov has become I think because the whole injury thing when he came out of you know IR just in time for the playoffs and everyone accused like okay Kucherov is your cheat code we get it and everyone kind of got tired of him and then it won the cups okay we get it and now he's like one of these less I don't know less sexy guys on the draft board who we all kind of take for granted which by the way is a level that Sidney Crosby has been at for a while but shame on us for just expecting it from these guys. And Kucherov, we might have also not talked about him because he missed a lot of time, right? He only played 47 games, in which, by the way, he had 30 power play points and tied for 19th in the entire NHL in power play points, despite playing only half a season, basically. He paced for 52 power play points, which was very similar 
to the 48 power play points that Kucherov put up in his big 128-point season back in 1819. I think, though, the most we ever really talked about Kucherov like in our fantasy circles, and unfortunately for Kucherov, you get this good, and people talk about you when you struggle. And right in mid-March, like just in the lead-up, to worry some people for their fantasy playoffs. Kucherov had this cold stretch where he had just four points in eight games, but then he was fine. He was so good before and after that. You have to forgive him if he goes quiet for a couple weeks. It's rare, but it happens. And even, you know, to his credit, during the series against Toronto, he didn't look quite right, and I'm not sure he's playing at 100%. I've heard a lot of suggestion that he isn't, but he still has 15 points in 11 playoff games. And that's all the more impressive against really like against two of the best teams in the league. So this guy Kucherov is good and we shouldn't be forgetting him when everybody's like, okay, where does Matthews enter in that McDavid and McKinnon conversation? We can't forget Kucherov amongst those guys too. Yeah. And specifically about the Tampa Bay Lightning, I guess we got to consider them the favorite at this point to beat either the Rangers or Carolina, right? Like, I don't want to count out whichever those teams wins tomorrow, but Tampa looking so dominant right now. Yeah, it's, it's you know, the, the what you could say is that the Rangers, you know, basically will shut you down with Shostyorkin and make you pay for a couple mistakes and Carolina will just shut you down, period, and beat you two to one or three to one or whatever. But I think you know, I'd be more concerned, honestly, if it was a team like Florida, who's already out playing one of those teams, because they sort of don't seem to have a plan B when, you know, they're doing all their offensive things and they aren't working. It's like, oh, oh, oh no, what do we do? But Tampa, we've seen like they can handle high scoring games, they can handle low scoring games. I think they're built for both. And it is pretty hard to see, especially getting a little bit of rest and healing uh, that, you know, they would seed much to the Rangers or the Canes. I'm excited to see who they play and we'll see if they can give them a run for their money. But I agree that they're the favorite right now to come out of the East. Yeah, it just seems like uh, they had like the two really tough matchups against Florida and Toronto. I guess technically the Carolina actually had more points than Toronto in the regular season. I don't know. It just seems as if like something is wrong with the playoff format where Tampa like kind of had to get through what to me seems like two of the stronger teams in the East and now sort of get like a, a the next tier down. But uh, obviously not that I said that like Carolina will win the next game and then sweep Tampa because things are unpredictable. But yeah, they're just so dominant. Uh, it'll be really fun. Like next season, I'm really excited to see next series. I should say like uh, Edmonton and Colorado. We already started talking about it. that's going to be wild. Yeah. And I, I would also be so excited then to see Tampa against either of those teams. So I know a lot of people like to talk about the NHL playoffs and be Debbie Downers and be like, oh, they it peaks in the first round. I don't know about you, Brian. Like I'm I'm really excited for the next round, like more so the Western Conference, I guess, at this point. But uh, I'm like so stoked for Edmonton and Colorado. And I don't think I felt this way about a late playoff series in a little while. I agree. It usually seems like there's at least one and sometimes two teams that sneak through this far and get hot or ride their goalie. Uh, to a point that they don't deserve it. Sometimes they find themselves all the way in the cup finals, but it does kind of take some of the buzz and you see some of the best teams in the league just fall by the wayside early on. It's like, okay, well, I don't want to watch like boring hockey or not the very best hockey I could see, but we have between Tampa, Edmonton, and Colorado, three teams who are pretty exciting and fun to watch. And I guess Carolina or the Rangers will be the odd one out of the group, but they'll still be playing Tampa. 
I think the Rangers would be the team that I'd be like, yeah, they're the ones who snuck through Carolina. I would have considered an Eastern Conference finalist, and I still do. But I also would have never expected them to play a particularly exciting brand of hockey either. So uh, I, I think we're I think we're in really good shape here, though. I, and I agree with you. Usually, by like I do, I say. I think I tweeted that the first round of the playoffs is the best round because you do guarantee that you're going to see all the best teams and there's hockey on all the time. And that's really exciting. But it's also really exciting when the best teams with really exciting storylines and stars are getting through, which is what we're seeing so far. So hooray for really exciting and entertaining playoffs. I'm not sure I've watched as many playoff games in the last like five or seven round like playoff years as I have this year. Yeah, since the Sens made it. I'm sure you watched a lot that year when they made it to yeah. the conference finals against <laughs> it's Pittsburgh. Been, it's been a long time now. <laughs> yeah, like uh well last year remember Edmonton got swept by Winnipeg and then Winnipeg got swept. Like it was just kind of like Oh, like it's just fun to have McDavid. I don't know. I, uh, maybe I'm showing my bias here. Like I'm not like an Oilers fan or anything. It was just so cool to see like yeah, these like huge superstars in the league. Like yeah, like Kucherov, McKinnon, like McDavid all going forward. Like it is really fun. And uh Aho and I don't know, Panarin, Zabanajad. Actually, we'll get to uh, let me bring up uh Zabanajad and Panarin actually. Like uh Zabanajad having a great playoff so far. Point per game in the regular season. He had 81 points, then uh, 16 points in 13 playoff games so far. Meanwhile, Panarin only 10 points in 13 games. Obviously, it's like a super small small sample size. And like a silly, you could be like, oh, wow, why is Panarin choking and Zibanejad doing so well? Like, obviously, it's working. But it's like kind of just surprising. You know, if I if you would have done your playoff pool, you would have taken Panarin ahead of Zibanejad, right? Because Panarin's paced for over 100 points in the regular season, like three years in a row now, including this year, while Zibanejad's still great, but closer to like point per game, closer to 80 point pace. If you had a choice between the two, if you could have gotten through round two of the Keeping Carlson playoff pool, which I know you didn't, neither did I. So we're in the same boat here. But if you did get through and then you were choosing between Zibanejad and Panarin, who would you take? Like on one hand, you know, Zibanejad better in the playoffs so far, but on the other, like Panarin was better in the regular season. Huh. I mean, I honestly don't know for a playoff pool. Like we know it's all random. It's it's pretty random. I mean, Zibanejad seems pretty possessed. It's like you can see him getting ready to score and put the team on his back and, and be the guy Panarin has still been working, but I, I guess he like just not as quite quite as in a flashy way as Zibanejad. Like I've seen less of him on highlight reels, and I'll be honest, I haven't seen a whole lot of this Rangers Carolina series for many of the reasons we just talked about. Um, but if it were the regular season, I would just I'll, uh, at least I'll say I'd go with Panarin. There was a time this season though, like I'm happy to see Zibanejad get redemption because Zibanejad started the season slow. Like over the first couple months, he had 21 points in 28 games. And that was after last season. Remember, you remember last season, the, the two seasons ago very well, Elon, right? You were suffering with him on your team. Oh, well, yeah, Zibanejad, but he had COVID. There was a whole crazy thing. He yeah, ended strong but- once he sort of recovered. Exactly. So there was a whole lot of concerns like, oh, well, like, what's with Zibanejad? He can't put it together. And it was 30 games into the season. We're still like, I don't know about this guy. But then he finished the year on a 90 point pace over his last 50 odd games. Uh, so I'm not, you know, and like you said, there were COVID reasons a couple of years before. So Zibanejad has redeemed himself, I think, at least in these playoffs, put himself back in the spotlight as, yeah, this is a guy, a superstar that I think I can count on. I still think Panarin is the more reliable guy. If I had them both on the board at the same time, I'd go Panarin. And Zibanejad might have this unknown extra gear, but we've already seen Panarin's extra gear. And I think it would be hard for Zibanejad to all the ways surpass that. So in a playoff pool, Elon, maybe 
I'd go Zabanejad, maybe. But uh, it's also a fool's errand trying to pick the right guy in a playoff pool. But uh, in the regular season, I'm still on Team Panarin. Yeah, well, hey, there are uh, 20 people that are going to be moving forward to round three that are going to have to make that choice. And yeah, I'm with you. Just go with who's hot in the playoffs. I think they're both getting like similar deployment. It's actually interesting, the deployment, right? Like the Rangers made those two acquisitions at the deadline of Vetrano and Andrew Kopp. And both of them are their top sixers, right? It's Panarin with Kopp and Ryan Strom and Zibanejad with Kreider and Vetrano. That's uh, those are the lines in the last game, leaving Lafreniere and Kako, who were, you know, going into the season. We were like, OK, now's the time. Like Lafreniere and Kako going to have to get into the top top six there's who else is going to be there uh and now you know they're on line three with philippito scored a couple goals in the last game but uh yeah it's uh, it, uh next year i guess we'll be saying the same thing right we'll have to see what the rangers do but like uh cop and vetrano are both ufas so that'll be a fun th- you know i'm definitely going to wait to do the rangers beat writer interview because we might as well wait and see what happens in free agency rather than ask about guys like cop and vetrano who may not even be back next year uh, also i guess we got to mention since we're on the rangers adam fox holy cow 16 points in 13 game so same number of points as Zibanejad uh you know you compare him to the other superstar defenseman still left in Kale McCarr well obviously in Hedman okay I shouldn't say the but like one like McCarr is the one that everyone talks about is like the number one stud by a mile McCarr is 13 points in 10 games so slightly higher pace uh it'll be fun to see who ends up with more points overall obviously it'll actually just depend on who makes it to the finals uh but Fox had this like great regular season right 74 points in 78 games in the regular season so pacing above a 75 point pace he's been like huge in the playoffs playing like over 26 minutes per night on average uh, he had two assists in the big win on saturday but okay i was trying to think of a question to ask about fox here's what i was thinking like adam fox and kale mccarr two young studs in the league let's say you have mccarr in a keeper league and the fox manager is like i want mccarr like i'll give you fox like what else do i have to give you above adam fox to get kale mccarr like is there a deal you would make there or is mccarr like as amazing as adam fox is are you still like there's no way i'm giving up mccarr like would like a first like a first overall pick be enough or first round i'm just curious to get your take on what you would do if you had mccarr and the fox manager came running just in terms of like how far apart really are these guys I think they're still far enough apart that it's not just, uh, oh, yeah, this is a good deal. Throw yourself, throw me in a sweetener. I'll make a mostly lateral move, trade McCarr for Fox, and add to my team some other way. I think McCarr is still a step ahead of Fox. And also keep in mind, if this is a keeper league, a first round pick is like between a fifth rounder and a ninth rounder in most cases, right? If you keep four, then the first round is basically the fifth round. Oh, yeah, true. I guess I should have like pointed, like, you know, yeah, there's a big difference between a keep four and like a dynasty league where you're getting like Shane Wright or like whatever, like one of these like great prospects. So true, true. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So in a dynasty also, right, if you're getting the first overall in the 2023 entry draft, then like maybe that's actually something close to considering depending on when you plan to contend but the reason that i still see space between them is for kel mccarr i feel like it's possible we haven't even for sure seen his ceiling yet like he's got this 92 point pace this season he shoots and converts reliably like a top line forward and he plays 26 minutes a night and he just finished his age 23 season and like this is about like what Kel McCarr is doing is about what you know I don't know how to put this but we're seeing him perform like a forward and uh, forwards usually enter their prime around age 24 but for a defenseman 
it's pretty well unheard of to be this well-rounded and dominant at this age. And that's a credit to how McCart plays the position as this kind of hybrid player. And just to illustrate this example, take Victor Hedman, who was a rookie at 19 years old, only broke out offensively in his eighth season at age 26. So we spent seven seasons, well, we spent two seasons wondering where Hedman's offense was. And then we spent the next five being like, okay, I hope he'll get some offense, but he seems like this really good defensive player. And then we spent, you know, like the tail end of those five seasons settling and be like, okay, I guess this is all Victor Hedman can be. And then boom, at age 26, eight years into his career, he explodes. Kel has been doing that since age 21 already. Uh, 21-year-old rookie, Makar had a 72-point pace, then an 82-point pace, and then a 92-point pace. And then just compared to Adam Fox, who really is amazing, and uh, like it's going to sound like I'm down on Fox when I start talking about him now, but it's just to try and draw this distinction that I still see between Fox and Makar. Fox's 21-year-old rookie point pace uh, was 29 points, which of course, was he wasn't playing the full role that he was going to play yet. Then he had a 70 point pace as a sophomore recently this season with a 78 point pace. Fox has similar power play production to Makar. Um, but like, you know, in that 30, 35 power play point range, which is amazing. But I think he's behind Makar at five on five. And Adam Fox saw the Rangers shoot nearly 20% on the power play that he was on, picking up those 30-plus points on. And I think some of those were definitely thanks to Chris Kreider's crazy power play shooting percentage this year. So I'm not sure that the Rangers' power play will be that good again, which means I'm not sure Adam Fox's power play numbers will be that good again. Of course, Fox still has room to grow himself, but I feel comfortable projecting Fox for, say, 75 points next season. In other words, to hold what he did, well, I think it's possible Kale McCarr can actually take a legit shot at being a 100-point defenseman. So if I had McCarr, I would ask, if someone came to me with Fox, I'd say, what else are you going to give me? I think I need somebody in a in a dynasty. I definitely need that first-round pick to even think about it. And then I think if it were like a keeper or, yeah, let's say it's a keeper, I'd want someone who I would be drafting normally, if everyone was out there, in, say, you know, the first four rounds. I think oh. that's where I'd go. It, like, and maybe that's not even asking enough, maybe three rounds, but I don't think they'd give me that. So I'd have to come up with something that's reasonable. I, it, it would be really hard for me to give up Makara. I don't think you should, you know, bat away any offer you get, but it's not so automatic. Like I said, you're not making, I don't think it's a lateral move to go Makara to Fox. Um, what do you think? That's a lot for me. Elon. What would you do? <laughs> no, I think uh, I agree. Like, I think McCar- like Fox is great, but yeah, it seems like it'll be surprising to see him like breach now. Like, like obviously he's having this amazing playoffs, but yeah, probably like breaching this like 75-ish point pace seems unlikely. That seems like a pretty nice ceiling for the guy, but yeah, McCarr could literally be one of the best offensive defensemen ever. Like, just like, I'm, I'm really high on it. Every, you see the highlight reels, you know, I, mean, I don't want to be too affected by just the highlights, but unbelievable. Yeah, so I can see him being point guy i think like if if the fox manager is coming to me trying to make that trade i think i'm looking at like fine then let's also make another rangers swap and a rangers colorado swap and maybe like you give me uh, mckinnon and i'll give you zabanajad and then that completes the deal something like that like i would want like a sim i, I see that as kind of like a similar swap like fox and mccarr and then yeah. mckinnon to zabanajad yeah that definitely makes it more concrete if you can yeah if you can make a similar upgrade at forward you know, the opposite direction, then for sure. And if anybody does do any of these deals, I'd be very curious to hear from either the side getting Fox or the side getting Makar. 
Yeah, I'm all, I'm very wimpy, right? Like in a dynasty league, like I'm trying to think of like Maddie and my like biggest trade. I feel like we mostly make trades in my dynasty that are are more like we're trading to like a non contender and giving like picks for forwards. You know, I can't think of like a straight up like big name for big name trade that I've made. Maybe maybe one day it'll happen. Uh, okay, let's talk about where do we go? There's so many superstars that have been so good. Like okay, I could obviously bring up like Matthews and McKinnon, like you know, like the great playoffs they've had or are having. Uh, Kirill Kaprizov. Uh, unfortunately, Minnesota only played those six games. He had eight points after a 108-point regular season. He really, like, he did seem like the best player on this Minnesota team. Like, uh, like Fiala kind of didn't really come through. Um, Boldy did nothing. Like, like, that line, you know, like, it really was the Kaprizov line. Seemingly, that was, like, helping Minnesota get as far as they did, which was only six games, unfortunately, <laughs> against St. Louis. But uh, do, are we at a point now where, like, Kaprizov is, like, a first-round pick, potentially in a couple drafts next season? Like, he seems like such an amazing superstar. Uh, like, last year, where, where was he getting drafted? Like, around the third or fourth round? I know, like, there was some concerns at some point that he might not even sign. But, like, once he had signed, I still don't think people were looking at him as, like, this big of a superstar star as he's turned out to be do you think like next year we're looking at like a guy that you take maybe at the end of the first round of a draft or like i guess like everyone in the nhl is getting a lot of points so it's like 108 points you have to kind of put that into context but still like this guy's so dominant still very young himself i wonder if he has a higher upside he seems like he has higher upside but still might be there i'm not saying it's for sure there but kirill kaprizov is definitely going to get uh, drafted above where he was this last season. I went and looked at our Cupful, the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League, uh, his average draft position uh, from this past year. He was drafted on average 37th overall. So that's some part through, that's like about, uh, what, how, just over halfway through the third round. This earliest Kaprizov was drafted was 24th overall, uh, and he was drafted as late as 47th overall. I myself... Uh, drafted Kirill Kaprizov with a late third rounder. I was thrilled about it. No way I get him at that spot again because I believe in Kaprizov's 109-point pace, and I'm interested to see if he can push it even further. He's got the skill, and one reason why I think he can push it further beyond just like having another year under his belt and you know developing his game is that he only saw 14 minutes a night at 5 on 5 on average. I feel like if he could get another couple shifts per night, that would all he'd need that's all he'd need to be like to break that 110 point barrier and then add a few more on top of that. Um if I were to try and offer a counterpoint to myself, like I don't even know if I should say this cuz I don't believe in it, but just the fact that Minnesota was wrecked by St. Louis in the first round, I think like devastated by it, right? That's not how it was supposed to go. They were they were a team to fear this year. So does that mean they changed the game plan at all and ask Kaprizov to do something different? But I really don't think so. I think that was a goaltending collapse in the first round for the Wild as much as anything. They're already a very good defensive team, so I don't see them shifting to become an even better defensive team just because their goaltender fell apart. Um, so yeah, I'm saying this, but I'm not actually worried it's a possibility. I think Kaprizov is uh, is at least going in the top two rounds this year, potentially towards the tail end. Of, I mean, towards the tail end of the re- first round this year, I got Alex Barkov. I would still prefer Barkov to Kaprizov. So if that's my measuring stick, Kaprizov isn't quite in the first round, but he's not far from it. Hmm. Like, it seems like reasonable what you said. Like, when you actually look at the numbers, I don't think Barkov and Kaprizov, they paced actually both for 108 points. They had similar point paces. I guess I'd have to go into like the couple scoring. I think Kaprizov takes more shots than Barkov, or at least close also. Like, I think they're a lot closer. Like, yeah, maybe I would also take Barkov a little bit higher, but I think we're talking like pretty similar territory, which I think it says all you need to say about Kaprizov. 
It's close. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, how about some unexpected guys that did well? I've just been talking about superstars this whole time. I guess I did mention Andrew Cobb on the Rangers, who's having a good... I don't know if I brought up his numbers. 10 points in 13 games. Uh, he had 18 points in 16 games after joining the Rangers in the regular season. And he's a UFA coming up. I'm just curious. Obviously, it's hard to project what's going to happen. I just wonder what kind of contract this guy is going to get. Like... Uh, you know, if you're a team, you look at these numbers, you're like, okay, this guy's a star. At the same time, he's he's Andrew Kopp. Like, I don't know, like, has he done enough to, you know, undo all those years where he was just like a solid player, but not like, you know, a 70 plus point guy. Like he's looking like in these last few games with the Rangers and now these playoffs. Uh, I just wonder like where he's going to sign. And also like, what will that mean for his fantasy value? We'll obviously talk about it after July 1st when he does get his contract. But I wonder if he'll be the type of player that's overdrafted or underdrafted next year. Because I could really see it going either way. I think the uh, maybe a good comparison going back to the top of the show for Andrew Kopp is Connor Garland, who feels like they could both land in the same sort of neighborhood, don't have much beyond uh, like a ceiling. They don't feel like they have a ceiling much beyond what they've shown. Like Andrew Kopp has a 60 point pace the last couple seasons, and I think he can do that again in a top six role with quality line mates. We don't know where he'll land. Uh, I think if anyone asks too much from him, like whatever team signs him, uh, they may be disappointed if they expect him to be one of the drivers of, say, the second line on their team. But clearly, this, where Cop is a really solid complementary piece, that's a role he can play and put up 60 points with. He did it in Winnipeg. He's showing success doing it with the Rangers. I, I think he's a good player. I don't think he's lucked into this season's. I think it is about finding him the right fit for line mates. So where he lands is going to be a huge decider here. And we see when someone moves to a new team, it doesn't always click. It's clicked for Cop, but it might not click for him wherever he goes next. So I would be a little wary. And I think I, I think I'd go, I might go Garland ahead of him if he's Hmm. leaving the rangers Uh, if he stays with the rangers maybe i'll take cop first but that's where i see him i see him being a a solid 55 60 point option should he be in a situation where he clicks yeah i feel like it seems like just such a great like place for him right now on the rangers both for him and the rangers since maybe they're not confident yet that lafreniere or kako are ready to step up into the top six and be as dominant as or at least as productive as andrew kopp has been han here in the chat, I believe is Norm. I don't know how you pronounce H A E N. How do you think you pronounce that? Is Han? Like Han I would Solo? Hayan or Hayan, but it's Hayen. it's Norm. We well, know it's Norm. It's Norm. So I could just say Norm. Well, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he wants to be referred to by his uh, chat name. But either way, he's saying that uh, I'm curious if he stays with the Rangers. He's looked good this postseason. Yeah, th- like his contract right now is three point. 3.6 so he's definitely going to get a raise but maybe he'd be willing to take like you know maybe the rangers would be willing to give him a longer term deal maybe like a 4.5 5 million a year i don't know it'll be i'm starting to learn more about contracts now that i'm in dynasty league so like, it's fun to like kind of predict and see what'll happen but i could see the rangers maybe going like a f- four by five i don't know we'll see uh okay so uh, maybe uh, do you have a comment on my like, contract speculation you want me to move on here <laughs> Uh, my comment is to check out our friends at Evolving Hockey, evolving-hockey.com, who have their um, their contract projections that have been amazing over the course of the past few years. Uh, that like that's where I would go. You have to become a, a pro subscriber, a subscriber at a certain level to see their like support them, but they deserve the support. Sure, okay. So that that's where I would look. If I was uh, trying to guess contracts, I wonder if it's like harder for someone like because like Cop is like being is part of this playoff run. Like it almost like if if he helps the Rangers get past you know Carolina tomorrow, 
I wonder if that, you know, like raises his contract and it's not something that's like part of the model, just like, a, you know, playoff hero, like all those guys on Chicago who got big contracts after they helped the Blackhawks win a couple cups. Uh, okay. Uh, who else has had a good play? Oh, wait, let's talk about some St. Louis guys. Okay. Like Ryan O'Reilly came out of nowhere, 12 points in 12 games. Uh, this is a guy who was kind of a dud this season. Like uh, I see that he like had a 61 points. He, he pays for 70 plus though in his first three years. So, like it's not terrible, but like not like I drafted him in the cupful and he was like, like someone I held on to for most of the year, but like never was too <laughs> excited about him. Uh, he was pointless in his last three games versus Colorado for what it's worth, even though St. Louis scored 10 goals in those games. I don't know if that's like something to, bad to say about Ryan O'Reilly or more just like we know, we know how St. Louis was this year, just like spreading things around. Some guys would go hot. Some guys would go cold, but it was nice to see Ryan O'Reilly really come through for the people who probably got him a good value in their playoff pools. Uh, are we at a point now? Like, should we for next year expect Ryan O'Reilly to go back to being like the 70 point guy he was previously? Or is this just like a new era in St. Louis? Because there's like so many guys like, you know, Perron had a big playoffs. Buchnevich had a big playoffs. Tarasenko. Uh, and then obviously we saw Rob Thomas who like didn't do as well in the in the playoffs as he did in the regular season at the end there. But just look at so many names. I wonder if we're just like, like, are you ready to go back to Ryan O'Reilly at 70, I guess? Or do we have to just expect now that he's just part of this, like, glom of guys where no one is going to maybe be... Or maybe... Or if someone is, it's not going to be Ryan O'Reilly. It's going to more be, like, the Rob Thomases or the Buchnevichs, Tarasenkos, who are going to, like, over-eclipse him in the regular season. I think I'm not... I'm actually not buying into any of those answers because we talked a lot about what St. Louis was doing in the regular season this year and why no one guy seemed to be doing quite as well as we've ever seen them do or or hoped they would do. And the reason was that St. Louis was sharing the wealth a lot in the regular season. They'd really flattened out how they distributed uh, yeah. ice time. Do you mind if I but, just jump in? Just because like, I know yeah. like you, you like that was what we said about guys like Ryan O'Reilly. But to be fair... Pavel Buchnevich had over a point per game, right? Like that's he he had a career year. Like Rob Thomas also had like over a point per game. So it's not as if like no one on St. Louis was able to put up huge numbers. Right. So sorry, that was more about the sorry. I okay, so let me clarify. That was more about why Ryan O'Reilly. Yeah. Or like at some point, you know, the way we talked about Braden Shen changed a little bit, even though we expected less from him in general. But I think Ryan O'Reilly was probably the one that confused us the most until we realized, well, like, yeah, these other guys, like Rob Thomas and like Pavel Buchnevich, are getting more minutes, and that's eating into what Ryan O'Reilly can do. And this playoffs, Ryan O'Reilly is seeing another two and a half minutes a night compared to what he was seeing in the regular season. So he saw mm. his deployment go down in the regular season, uh, and he had fewer points, and he's seen it go up in the playoffs, back to the levels at which he produced those 70-point seasons. He's also got O'Reilly uh, five power play points in 12 games, uh, which uh, is basically a pace for 34 power play points over 82 games, which is more than double the 16 power play points that O'Reilly put up in the regular season. Uh, four power play goals so far for him, too. That's nearly half of his nine power play goals that he had in 78 games this year. So there's just some big power play performance coming along with those extra two and a half minutes tonight as well. And I think that's the reason we're seeing this production from O'Reilly and why I'm not uh, expecting it to hold, especially if the Blues continue, you know, asking more of everybody else but Ryan O'Reilly uh, the rest of the way in the regular season. 
Yeah, it seems like maybe it's just a case also of like, yeah, he's like a veteran. Maybe so in the playoffs now he's getting this like role, but maybe in the regular season, yeah, they're going with more of like these like young up and coming guys for the some minutes and taking away from O'Reilly, who's more like a hold the fort kind of guy moving forward. So yeah, I, I would also not be predicting O'Reilly to approach 70 again or like approach maybe, but not, you know, I think his best productive years are behind him in St. Louis. Um, you know what, Brian, I just realized I haven't yet cut to a uh, break which we're supposed to do, especially because I uh, recorded, I don't wonder if it's going to get in here for people downloading the show. I guess like people could be downloading this episode of Keeping Carlson like five years from now and maybe some other auto-inserted message will be put in. But I think that they're going to be putting in the message I recorded. Uh, so check it out. Check out the message I recorded about a company if it's going to be the one that, I don't know why I'm like previewing like the ad, but it's like a company that I have some friends working at. So anyways, check it out and we'll be back in just a sec. You're listening to Keeping Carlson. All right, we are back. Next up, uh, I got one more player here, Brian, I want to throw at you that's having a really good playoffs. Then we'll swap over to some skaters who have let us down and also some goalie talk maybe to end the show. But uh, how about Ross Colton over on Tampa? He like kind of was starting to make a name for himself in last year's playoffs he, on like the fourth line because Tampa Bay traded away their whole third line from last year. Now he's become a third liner and he's producing big eight points in 11 games. Is he the, are we at a point now with Ross Colton where like you potentially draft him? next year in the cup i'm not saying like high draft pick but like someone you draft or is he still someone that you're still like kind of maybe like high level free agent fodder but still not someone worth drafting it's just like he's had an impressive run like he wasn't even a prospect anyone knew about or cared about i don't think until like last year and now all of a sudden he seems to be a significant part of this team and that's exactly how tampa structures their playoff runs right around these middle six guys who step up and show up and thrive in the playoffs i mean yanny gourd Blake Coleman, Barkley Goodrow, Corey Perry, add Ross Colton to this list. And Nick whether Paul. he could Nick Paul, Brandon Hagel. That's that's the current roster, right? So yeah. it could go either way. You're asking if if Ross Colton is a player, right? Who we can actually want in fantasy. I would look back to this season and say, no, I didn't even want to stream him in um, very often. A lot of that was because he was not in a starring role. The thing is, though, when we've talked about Ross Colton on the show, and I remember we did earlier this season, I can't remember if it was like in the fall or just at the start of the winter, but we mentioned he looks good. Like Ross Colton's underlying numbers, if I compare the offensive generation stuff, which is basically his shot attempts, shots on goal, and expected goals rates, those numbers are good for Ross Colton. He he compares well to some other very good players the thing is, oh, we've never seen him in a starring role, and we need to do that. Like, we could have a player here in Ross Colton, but I don't think there's much to think about fantasy-wise till we know he's going to be in a bigger role. Like, even Yanni Gord, who we felt we knew was good, could not do much with his time in Tampa because he had a role to play, and he played it really well, and that was his role. He was stuck in it, even though we knew when he got to Seattle he was going to be able to do more. So... I think for Ross Colton, it's kind of a double-edged sword. He's playing this role really well. We'll see if the Tampa Bay Lightning ever feel like moving him on from it. Um, and he somehow earns a look higher up in the lineup. But until that happens, Elon, I'm not interested fantasy-wise in him in, in the regular season, even though he does look like he could be potentially a top six player. He's just not getting deployed that way. He's not being asked to play that way. 
shows up in the playoffs like this, that's fantastic. But I don't see this having much fantasy regular season relevance. Yeah, I know. I don't disagree for sure. Like, I think it's the kind of guy who will have to see if he gets impacted by, you know, like Andre Palat is a free agent this summer. So who knows? Maybe like Palat goes and that opens up a spot. You know, aside from Palat, Tampa like could legit just like roll this pretty much the same team uh, again next year. Like they've got, you know, Killorn whatever like colton like all their like secondary like last year they had to get rid of like all their third line right but this year like not so much like colton hagel killorn cory perry like all these guys are still under contract for next year sorelli obviously stamkos point and, and kucherov and they've still got headman under contract mcdonough i'm sure with mcdonough they would rather not have this contract at this point but still like sergachev still has another year left before it becomes an rfa like they're gonna be able to roll this exact same team pretty much uh they're very well managed team i don't know like did you know that uh, my opinion is this an uh, interesting yeah. opinion to throw out there that tampa's a well-managed team uh, uh, cold take okay uh let's go to some players who have let us down so far in these playoffs like like i said a lot of the superstars have come through which is nice uh one guy that jumps out at me andre svechnikov over on carolina what's going on with this guy only five points in 13 playoff games now only one goal in six games versus the rangers like he was doing fine in round one but yeah like this second round pretty invisible at least on the score sheet i also noticed he's been off the top power play pretty much the whole series like seth jarvis was in his spot in the last game i wonder like, is this something where i don't know like, i remember last year going into the year i had reasons for concern about sveshnikov and then he kind of made me feel dumb because he came out so strong but he also like slowed down at the end of this regular season right he only had 33 points in 42 games to end the year after he was like point per game in the first half so i don't know are you reading anything into like sveshnikov's quiet playoffs off the top power play or is this just another case where if people are dumb like me and are down on him then you'll just get a, a steal in drafts next year I think the only lesson to learn here about Svechnikov is, okay, well, the first really obvious lesson actually is that if Andre Svechnikov is going to play six straight games on Carolina against Igor Shosturkin, you might not want to expect much from him during Fair. those six games. Fair. Like Carolina, the whole team has 11 goals in six games against the Rangers. You're and the, smart. The, the, the hilarious part is they're in they're in the series. It's 3-3. And of those 11 goals, one came on the power play. Two of those goals came shorthanded. So that's eight goals remaining that came from Carolina that weren't on special teams. I didn't check if they had any empty netters when I was researching. So there might even be more to take out of those eight goals that have been scored at quote unquote five on five. Um, Svechnikov has pointed on one of those 11 goals. That's not great. Um, over the playoffs, his, his on ice shooting percentage is 6% at five on five. And I think that's in large part to due to this time that he spent to get against Chess Jorkin. So look, I think that's one issue and that's obviously that's what's happening. But maybe the takeaway here is that uh, Svechnikov has lost that power play deployment, right? With with power play two deployment instead of one, because Jarvis has stepped up there on the top unit, Svechnikov could be closer to a 60-point player than an 80-point player. Oh, boy. And he's also lost just a, not, not a lot, but a couple shifts a night at five on five, too. So I think maybe the takeaway here is that Svechnikov is still, like, not somebody whose spot in the lineup is like untouchable mm -hmm. and that maybe there's still this bit of like tenuous aspect to his place on the team where it's like, Hey, 
Andre, uh, you're off the top power play. Hey, Andre, we're keeping on the bench a little more tonight. And that's not great. That's not what you want to see from someone you want to rely on fantasy-wise. So if I wanted to come up with a takeaway for that beyond like, yeah, it's just kind of unfortunate that he hasn't scored this many points, it would be that. It'd be that his his deployment and his entitlements are being sort of taken away a little bit, reeled back. And that's what would concern me a little bit if I'm looking to rely on Svechnikov for big fantasy production. Yeah, I think we're in a situation now where I still think he's awesome. Right? Like he's a really good player. Obviously, I, if I were to bet on it, I would say that he'll be good next year, and I would take this as an opportunity to get a steal. But like you said, like maybe it's not a guarantee because he's losing these spots. Like to throw it out there, like whatever. Like Vincent Trocheck's on the top power play, and he's a UFA, so he might not come back next year, and that could open up a spot. But of course, Carolina could do something with that cap space and like who knows what they'll do and yeah it seems like seth jarvis who has taken his father he's not going anywhere right like he's a, a high pedigree prospect uh, but obviously you know so was sveshnikov at one point so yeah it'll be fun to follow I, if i were to bet i would like do this i would draft sveshnikov and then if he has like a super hot start maybe maybe looking to see trading him like if you could get like a really awesome return right because now we've seen a pattern is it a pattern? I don't know. We've, I, I feel like I've seen this before. Svechnikov, like, you know, going really hot and then kind of losing his spot at points during the year. So yeah. maybe it is worth trying to get, like, top value for him when he is, like, at that peak and getting that primo deploymento with Aho and Teravine, you know, on the top line, top power. But that's obviously when he's going to be at his best. Yeah, it's a good point. Like, this isn't the first time we've seen some of his deployment pulled back a little, and we've seen him run cold when this happens or before it happens. And I and what you said at the start about still thinking Svechnikov is a really good player who could be a superstar in a stud and someone that you could try and maybe grab at a discount given all that's happening to him in a keeper or dynasty league. I would go. I would say go for it because he is a really dominant. He can be a really dominant player, and I think he has a a very bright future ahead but he's just not entrenched yet is all uh, is all i'm saying but even even with that i still think he's going to be a really great player yeah. so I, I don't mean to take anything away i hope i didn't give off that impression no definitely uh, in not. my first response okay no and also you made a really good point it's like these are a lot of games against Shestjorkin, and it's not the Shestjorkin from round one where he struggled a little bit this is round two Shestjorkin where he's like keeping them in the series so you don't want to put too much weight into that okay another disappointing player in these playoffs was anthony duclair uh who had this like huge breakout this year 64 point pace in the regular season but totally disappeared in the playoffs he had three points in eight games and you might be thinking wait eight games didn't florida play 10 games well, yeah, because Duclair was scratched twice. Scratched! A 60-plus point player. Like, uh, yeah, in Game 6 versus Washington and in Game 4 versus Tampa. Two series-ending games. Duclair wasn't there, uh, which puts a real damper to me. On, like, like uh, He had this like, great season. If uh, you know the season ended after the regular season, Duclair would be like toasting and celebrating an amazing year. And now he like probably doesn't feel that great. And now, all of a sudden, for fantasy drafts next year, I'm going to be wary. And Again, this could be just the, a good opportunity to get a steal like late in your draft because there's no way people are going to be reaching for someone who got healthy scratched in the playoffs. But we did see that given good opportunity, he was able to produce it. He got scratched also in the playoffs last year, if I recall correctly. So I think this is the kind of thing where maybe Duclair, for whatever reason, isn't a, the type of player that coaches trust in the playoffs or at least Florida coaches. Uh, but we have seen him produce in the regular season. So I don't know. I just want to throw him out there. My hunch is that he'll still be a decent get next year, but not with a high pick, like a last round pick. I agree. I, I don't know if you'd be able to get him all the way at the last round. I think this is definitely taking a bite out of Duclair's draft stock that he did get scratched and didn't seem to get uh, used in quite the same 
amount or way as he was during the regular season when he found success. I think the Panthers spent a lot of the postseason looking for answers. And one of those answers they thought was less Anthony Duclair. Clearly, that was not it. Um, So we'll see uh, what happens next year. But yeah, I'm not going to change. Like, I don't think this is going to have a whole lot of like follow through on his like he signed for two more years three million dollars that's an amazing contract that he's on with the panthers if he can keep being the piece that he was in the regular season but what are you going to say well he was scratched twice in the playoffs so maybe not 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 that amazing of a contract in terms of like the team trying to win a cup they scratched him and it didn't work okay it didn't work like maybe it worked maybe the replacement was better than him but they still lost yeah, like it doesn't necessarily true. mean they lost I, I, don't, I haven't seen any op-eds about like oh they lost because they scratched duclair in game four i don't think that was uh, the reason uh but yeah Fair like enough. like are you draft i'm not drafting him as like a 60 point guy next year like to me he's a a late swing that i hope pays off yeah. i'm not like yeah. taking any risks on him yeah, I don't. I don't know he'll be around in the last round. Is all I said. That's um, fine then. But, I'll, I'll know, let someone if, else take If I have then. an eighteen-man roster as I do in the cupful, then I would probably consider him. You know, sixteenth round right. onwards. Yeah, when you're at the point in the draft where if you miss on a pick, it's not the end of the world, as opposed to like you know thirteenth, twelfth round, where you still kind of need to hit and get the, those depth guys. Uh, okay, one more disappointment that's still around. Uh, what about Darnell Nurse? What's going on here? Like uh, he paced for forty points in the regular season, not as good as the year before but i figured that's sort of like where he's gonna land but he's been very quiet in these playoffs i had him in i believe like uh the first or second round of the kkpp i don't know i've like put it out of my mind since i know i'm eliminated but uh only three points in 11 games and this is with an oilers team that we talked about to start the show like scoring so so many goals and just darnell nurse not involved like so should we like now moving forward maybe expect him to continue to decline in his offensive contributions like you know we've got guys like bouchard who's probably just going to get more and more minutes like broberg eventually you'd hope you know sticks with the team and takes on more like broberg was when he was with the oilers last year was getting no minutes at all uh so you know as these guys come up maybe is like darnell nurse's uh, at least offensive role going to keep on diminishing and maybe like his like maybe this past season a 40 point pace is going to be like the highest he's going to put up moving forward Well, Elon, it's simpler than we think, uh, the answer to Nurse's problems. And that is that he's playing injured. Uh, Apparently he is battling, according to uh, a very helpful patron in our Discord community, uh, Dexter linked me to an article that mentioned Darnell Nurse is battling a core muscle injury that might require off-season surgery, something abdominal like a ligament, Dexter, PJ, Uncle Filthy, and Dooner, all, uh, all participants in our Discord community, like we have this awesome feature where if you want to know um, more about a player on a certain team that you might not get to watch or follow the local media for, you can at anybody like you can, I could, I wrote at Edmonton Oilers and it tagged everybody who is like self-identified as an Oilers fan and watcher. I asked my, like, what's, what's up with Darnell Nurse? And actually the thing I picked up on with Darnell Nurse when I was researching for the show is that, you know, you say it, you said like, can he, like his offensive duties, is he being challenged for them? Well, the thing is, Darnell Nurse is not being used for his offensive duties. Uh, he's being used to be Edmonton's like top pair anchor. That means he's on the ice a lot, often with superstars. And I noticed that Nurse has been playing a lot less, though, these playoffs, like all around. In the regular season, Nurse was a workhorse for 25 minutes a night. Uh, these playoffs, he's playing just 21 minutes a night. And Nurse still leads the team in ice time like he did in the regular season. But instead of seeing nearly 20 minutes a night at five on five, 
He's seeing just 16 and a half minutes a night on average. And whatever minimal power play time Darnell Nurse was seeing before in the regular season, that's pretty much completely gone now, which isn't a huge factor because he only had six power play points in the regular season. But that's still something worth mentioning. So I'd say uh, that this discrepancy in ice time, like that's why I went to our Discord server. I'm like, hey, like what's the latest on Darnell Nurse? Are we sh- like, what is accounting for the entirety of him missing all these minutes that he had in the regular season it's not because the Oilers want to play him less and they want to play others more I think it's just that this is all they've determined he can handle with his current injury so a lot more wealth is shared he's on the ice less he's getting fewer points because you know it's great when he's on the ice he's on the ice with McDavid and Drysaddle and picking up points that way but he's just not playing as often or I think to his full capacity and I think that's the whole reason so my question to like myself was going to be, is he going to get these minutes back in the regular season? And our patrons helped me answer that question by saying, I think he is uh, once he gets whatever t- treatment or surgery he needs and is fully recovered, he'll be back to playing 25 minutes and still be like this 45, 50 point player that we've come to expect in the regular season. Boom. All right. Well, there you go. Well, hopefully he holds up and helps the Oilers because they're going to need all the reinforcements. You know, they're going to need all their players as as good as possible to have a chance against Colorado. So uh, we'll see how he does. I didn't realize that he was hurt. So yeah, that obviously answers a lot. All right. Let's end the show with some goalie talk. Uh, some goalies that did really well. And then maybe, uh, I don't know, let's just, let's just be positive, okay? Because, like, uh, at the end of the day, we had a lot of goalies that have been doing great. Like, some guys that there's no point talking about. But Vasilevsky, what a series uh, versus Florida. Insane. Like, Shostyorkin also. Uh, so maybe we won't do deep dives on them. One guy from the first round that just, like, stole the show pretty much was Jake Ettinger, right? Or I believe it was Ottinger. When I was actually watching the games, I, I feel like a long time ago, I learned that it was Ettinger. And now when I was watching the games, they were saying Ottinger. So I guess I got to flip that in my brain. So Jake Ottinger had a 954 save percentage in those seven games against Calgary. The main reason, I guess, why Dallas made it that far into the series. Are we at a point now where like, we're going to have to like boost him up big time for a Schmore goalies board next season, right? Like he's no longer a uh, guy who might not even start the season with the team. I don't think there's any reason to expect him to be a tandem. I feel like he's going to be Dallas's sure thing starter. They'd be crazy not to go that way. He seems like he has the capacity. He's reminding me of like a Thatcher Demko from a couple years ago, right? Like just this insane playoffs really told everyone, Hey, here we go. He's here. And then since then, Demko's been awesome and fancy. Yeah, Vancouver's not the best team. You know what? Like, Dallas isn't the best team. So I guess that would be the reason to have at Ottinger not, like, in the top tier. But I'd feel pretty comfortable. Like, as comfortable as you can be with a goalie in fantasy. Like, I'd be pretty darn comfortable if I was able to get Ottinger. Uh, I feel like people are going to be drafting him high. You're not going to be able to get him for cheap. But do you think he's like good enough that like he will be worth like reaching for like as far as goalies go like are are you more confident in him than you would other guys and like i don't know like tier three tier two maybe even i think i did i say this on the patron cast because we were talking about how he basically single-handedly kept dallas in that series like yeah, Calgary- was, yeah we talked about him in the patron cast okay calgary wrecked dallas and the only reason they were in it was because vottinger who I'm going to, yeah, also have to get used to that. Otter is his nickname. Otter rolls off the tongue better. Maybe I'll go with that. Um, This season, when we looked at Ottinger, like we felt like we knew he should take the crown in Dallas, but he had a hard time like actually getting enough rope to do it. But once he did, he did. And then he seemed to sort of struggle towards the end. Um, He was a little more inconsistent. And I think that might have been like a bit of a workload issue for him being, you know, a 23-year-old rookie. This is his first... You know, he played, uh, he, he saw 29 games of action last season, this season 48, so almost double the workload. 
And uh, I think that might have weighed on him towards the end of the season, but certainly not in the playoffs. In the playoffs, he established himself as like one of the best goalies in the NHL. And if you're wondering where to draft him next year, I think I would place him in Connor Hellebuck territory because he's a he's going to have a workhorse workload. He is a really good goalie. And we have a lot of question marks about the team he plays for, which could be a good thing, right? Because then he stops more pucks. It's just a matter of like the only, the thing in my head, that's the the one thing keeping me from drafting him. Maybe not the one thing, but one of the reasons I wouldn't draft him ahead of Hellebuck is that we haven't seen how he handles, you know, a 60 game workload before where he is starting like, you know, stretches of four, five, maybe even six games in a row regularly through the season. How well can he handle that? Mm. So that's the question mark that I want to see him answer next season. But yeah, his fancy value's up there. Uh, I wouldn't say he's top tier, uh, but at, at the worst, he's third tier. And I think there's a case for Ettinger to be, excuse me, Ottinger to be a second tier goalie. <laughs> we'll get there. Yeah, no, it's a really good point, though. Like, it, there is a difference between playing, like you said, like 40 to 50 games and playing like 60 plus. Like, we've seen, and I know he's had injury issues. It's not, maybe it's not fair, but like Robin Leonard always jumps out to me as a guy who's like had so many great seasons when he was like in a tandem or like when he played like, you know, but like when he, you know, got the job this year to be like the starter and everyone was drafting him super high expecting him now with Fleury gone to be like the for sure starter on Vegas. He like really let us down. And then he did get injured, which was a bummer. But even before that, he wasn't putting up the numbers we expected. So not to say that'll happen to Ottinger, but yeah, that's a reason to not like, just like, you know, sell the farm to get him. Cause you do want to see him like, you know, there's a reason why Vasilevsky's the best. Like even though Vasilevsky doesn't have the best save percentage year in year out, he's like the best goalie. Cause he's just able to play all these games every single year without like a decrease in quality, which is amazing. And yeah. Dallas will be interesting because Rick bonus is gone right? He announced that he's not coming back. Does that mean that they play a more offensive system, which could be bad for Ottinger? Maybe they stick with what works for them in terms of they got in the playoffs this year. You know, I don't know. Almost got by Calgary though. You say, Brian, that was just because of the goaltending. So some question marks, but yeah, he's definitely proven himself to be a goalie that could be like super valuable if everything, uh, you know, swings right again for him. Uh, okay. Uh, another goalie which, that we definitely talked about in that last patron cast a couple of weeks ago uh, is Jordan Binnington who uh, points this year i'm sure people who have him in like keeper leagues were like dropping him right like, like i don't even care like if i have if it's a keeper league like it seems like he's lost the job to Vili huso then all of a sudden huso kind of like didn't do that well to start the playoffs and then binnington got in and was amazing before he eventually got injured with that whole Kadri situation where he Kadri was pushed into him or whatever. We don't need to like uh, relitigate that play. But uh, at the end of the day, Bennington had a 947 save percentage in the six playoff games he played. At this point, I guess St. Louis doesn't have to stress so much about re-signing Huso. Like they must have been so stressed, right? Because they have Bennington on this long-term expensive contract. And they're like, if they can't rely on this guy, they're going to have to either re-sign Huso or get another good goalie. Now they can like freely, I'd imagine, let Huso go unless Huso's willing to take like a you know a good number uh but then brian in terms of fantasy like are we okay to just depend on binnington next year like maybe not you know obviously we can't be like so fully confident but i mean like he is a starting goalie on a good team right like it seems like like do you really feel that differently now than you did like last year at this time about him like has he burned all all your bridges because he did so well at the end of the year and in the playoffs yeah he's burned a lot of bridges i can't say he's burned them all um you know this season his numbers weren't as terrible as you might think if you're if you like look at his expected numbers like yeah he played worse than uh, the average goalie in the NHL would have been expected to at 5 on 5 um given the the difficulty of his workload but yeah i don't know i'm i'm having a hard time with this cuz i i i wanted 
it's unfortunate he was knocked out of the playoffs, even though I think St. Louis was probably going to lose the series either way. But I wanted to see, like, if he could keep this up or yeah. if he turned into a pumpkin. What did he do? Six games of action? Yeah, and he and, was like, in- he unbelievable. Could, right. And he couldn't put one good game together during, like, the second half or most of the regular season. So six games is still better than that. But it still doesn't mean much to me. In the greater picture, but well, don't forget that he also has he also has a history of like well, that's many it. seasons. This, yeah, he has this great track record coming into the season that he played so badly. Like usually, I'll I'll still call back that but he played he was so bad this year that I like you had to throw that track record in the garbage. Like that's how bad it was, and now he's played so good for a small stretch. I don't know. My my head is really spinning here about what to do with Binnington. One thing I will mention is that the Blues played better defense at five on five for him in the playoffs than they did uh, in the regular season, but he still uh, outplayed his expected number even with that um, you know that that added protection. Like he was really freaking good in the playoffs, and I don't want to take that away from him at all. Because I kind of do because he's kind of a jerk. <laughs> sure. But I won't. Take it away. We're, we're talking about it on ice. Um, so, yeah. What's the question here? Do I do I believe that Bennington's back? I mean, I guess I go into next season for his fancy value being cautiously optimistic. You, you seem to think that, like, St. Louis is back. They're a pretty good team, actually. I think they're really good. They're amazing. Yeah. Like, they have, like, yeah. so much depth at forward. They have, like, uh, Pareko and, uh, I don't know, like, they even had injuries, right? Like, uh, Tori Krug missed some time in the, in the playoffs. So, I don't know. Seemed like a pretty good team. Yeah. Fall. I'm just, uh, I'm just seeing how they <laughs> did this year, uh, or this postseason in terms of, like, the share of expected goals I mean, while also, they're on the ice. To be fair, like, they played Colorado for one of those series, which is, like, a, you know, a tough series, for sure. It's like how you were talking about with Carolina. Do we really want to judge their guys for playing against just Jerkin? I will say this. Like, with Bennington, I'm definitely not, like, saying he's back. Like, uh, my main point, I guess, I'll make is, you know how I play fantasy, right? Like, I don't really like drafting goalies early. I'd rather just get the more reliable, like, forwards specifically and then defensemen than just hope yeah. to get lucky with a goalie later on. And if, if worst case, you don't end up with a good goalie in the draft, you get, like, an Anton Forsberg or someone in free agency who hopefully ends up carrying you. Like, obviously, you need some luck, to actually. And you have, to, you have to play free agency in an aggressive way. But I could just see myself ending up with Bennington in some leagues next year. Like, I'm not going to reach for him at all, but maybe I'll wait for, like, 15 goalies or 17 goalies or whatever to go off the board. And then, fine, I'll take Bennington. I'll take the starter on St. Louis at, with a late pick and hope that that yeah. works out. And if it doesn't, then, you know, I didn't waste yeah. a high pick on him. It's almost like the way we've been drafting John Gibson the last few seasons, right? When we're like, we know that there's, like, enough of a spotty track record recently, but maybe there are glory days and maybe, hey, Anaheim is actually a half-decent team, which I think is coming. Um, so maybe it's a similar pick, except St. Louis. Yeah, St. Louis has been a good team. So uh, it's a tricky one. I'm not sure if and when I'll draft him. Like, he was, like, dropped. He was a free agent in so yeah. many leagues this season. It was just, I, I don't know we've seen quite, quite a crash from a goalie before, like, at this stage of their career than we did this year from Jordan Bennington. <laughs> a, a Timo Solani-esque crash. Uh, when he went to Colorado for that year. But we know that Solani bounced back after, so we'll see if Bennington can pull a Solani just to tie the show together. I don't know. Who else do you want to talk about? Like Mike, I guess I've talked about every Oiler. I can mention that Mike Smith is having a great playoffs, 927 save so percentage good. in 12 games. The Oilers signed him in the offseason. I think that was one of the moves we were critical of that I guess if you just want to be results-oriented, like it's seeming like a pretty good signing, right? He's just yeah. doing really well. He had a great season, I mean, great I, playoffs. 
I shared an article with, on Twitter from Low Tide, Alan Mitchell, who mm-hmm. hopefully you'll get to chat with um, at uh, like during our 32 Beat series. But he wrote like a whole look. He's like, what's the problem with Mike Smith? And he's been critical about the Mike Smith signing too, but he went over Mike Smith's numbers and said, hey, when Mike Smith is healthy this year, he played pretty darn well. And his his periods of struggle, he connected pretty clearly to moments where Smith wasn't playing 100% and was basically like, what would you do? How could you know do something that you know would do better than Mike Smith at $2 million next season? And he went over some of the free agents who were available. This is over at The Athletic. And I came away from that article being like, yeah, I think uh, I think a Mike Smith-Stewart-Skinner tandem is the way for the Oilers. And that Mike Smith, uh, look, he's doing it. Uh, he's doing this thing that I- I've been skeptical of all along. But at this point, I'm feeling pretty sold. <laughs> I'm going like, to say. Uh, yeah. I can I, I can admit it. Uh, it's fun watching him. He plays. I don't know how much of the Edmonton games you've watched. I, I've, I've watched, I think, every game of the Edmonton Calgary series and some of the LA series. But he's, his butt is like always so far into the net. Like this is his thing. He's known for two things, like playing the puck way too often and kind of dangerously. And also being so far deep inside his net that you're like, what's this guy doing? But he's looked really, really dialed in these playoffs. So there was this whole storyline about like Calgary Remember, Like he was with them. He didn't do well. And then they, they dumped him. They got rid of him. And I don't know if they went straight to Markstrom. I think they went straight to Markstrom. And uh, this was him trying to show them they made the wrong choice. Mm-hmm. Like That's always fun. And he seems like a petty enough guy that that would actually really motivate him from the other off-ice stories you hear about him. Uh, but yeah, good for Mike Smith. He's really shown his worth. And I wouldn't be afraid, so afraid. I wouldn't be as afraid to draft him next year in fantasy as I have been the last couple of years, especially. And I think we need to give some credit to Jay Woodcroft behind the bench, too. Yeah. Uh, so who has the edge in goal for this next round? Like Edmonton versus Colorado, Mike Smith versus Darcy Camper, who you've been like uh, not. It doesn't seem like you're the biggest Darcy Camper fan when I uh, read your comments in the live game chats on Discord. Uh, yeah, he hasn't been that great in the playoffs, I guess, overall. 904 save percentage in nine games has been enough to get Colorado through. But obviously they've given him a lot of, uh, you know, goal support. Uh, so, who? yeah, if you let's say you're Colorado and you have the option to trade goalies to start the series. Imagine if that was a thing the coaches got to do. That'd be pretty funny. But uh, like, would, would you rather have Camper or Smith going into the next round? At five on five. Darcy Kemper and Mike Smith have similar defensive protection, but Mike Smith has a 924 save percentage compared to Darcy Kemper's 916. That's just in these playoffs. And I'm not surprised, having watched plenty of them, that this is the case. Like, Darcy Kemper just has not looked strong these playoffs. And I saw uh, someone who I follow for reliable takes on uh on Colorado was like like and I shared this in our Discord group too like said maybe Darcy Kemper just isn't or one thing he's noticed from watching a lot of Kemper with the Avs is that when the stakes are low Kemper's great and like that tracks like when he was a backup he was pretty good when he was in Arizona uh and there was where there weren't huge expectations he did well but every time that there are critical moments or now in the playoffs for the Avalanche Kemper just doesn't seem to be his his most dominant self and looks very beatable so if i could pick a goalie uh i am uh yeah i'm going mike smith between mike smith and darcy kemper i think darcy kemper is actually the abs achilles heel they look so solid 
all around front and back, but there's just no guarantee that Kemper is going to stop any given shot, even if it looks pretty stoppable. Hmm. Um, there was definitely some moments in that St. Louis series where I think he's the reason the avalanche looked beatable because it was like, just get enough shots on Darcy. And St. Louis weren't even getting that many shots. Like they had like 16 shots, but three goals or, you know, that, that seemed to be the shot clock goal score every time I looked throughout the series. So that's, uh, that would be my concern for Darcy Kemper, but maybe he steps up his game knowing that he only... He doesn't only have to focus on one line, but, you know, not to discount all of Edmonton, but he really has to focus and dial in on McDavid and Drysaddle and Kane. And if he can, then he's he's in good shape. But yeah, I would want Mike Smith ahead of Darcy Kemper. I mean, that's a very tall task. <laughs> You're saying it's like, oh, he only has to di- uh, focus on one line, like yeah. the best line ever. <laughs> <But>. <laughs> well, like like what Matthew Kachuk said, right? after Was it after game three or something? He's like, well, they only have one guy and, you know, we can work to stop him. And, Make, uh, and yeah. then they didn't they didn't stop him or anyone else i saw some tweet it was like uh from a calgary radio station or something and the guy was like ending his news broadcast and he was like and remember like you could achieve anything you put your mind to unless Connor mcdavid wants that thing or something like that like, yeah it's so it was like a news broadcast yeah <laughs> so okay how about this what do you think the chances are that McDavid and Dreisaitl blow up Camper in game one, and then maybe Jared Bednar decides to go with Pavel Francouz in game two or at some point in the series? You think there's a chance? Like, Francouz has been kind of like a winner. Like a great, He's had a great career, just like mostly outside of the NHL. But like, if you're saying that like Camper d- maybe doesn't have the resilience to like step up in these big games, we'll see. Like, this is going to be a very tough challenge. And I, I wouldn't be shocked if Francois gets in a, another game at some point. Like, Francois got in a couple games in the first round because Kemper had that. What was it? It was something like a big ball. I remember I was reading something about he had like a big ball or something in his head. What was it? Anyways, whatever. And now, and now this is like great podcasting here. But anyways, Francois got in a game. He was fine. Uh, I wonder if he gets in again in round two I guess, or round three. I guess we'll find out. I really need to more know more about this big ball. Okay, that let me, Kemper okay. Had you comment on like it's not okay. I'll comment on Franco's. He's played a hundred minutes and he had nine oh two, so he gave up five goals on fifty one shots. So his uh, his performance was not terribly strong either. But yeah, Elon, I wouldn't. Uh, it feels like it's late in the game to go to a backup goalie voluntarily for the first time for a team going into the conference finals. Like, I don't think that happens often where you get through the first two rounds choosing to play your starter any chance you can. And then by the third round, you're like, ah, we're going to go to the other guy. But I'm with you. I could see it. If Kemper had, like has a rough first game, I think they at least think about Franco's. I wouldn't be so shocked to see him play a game this series. Okay, Kemper had swelling around his eye. I'm pretty sure I read at some point it was like a big ball, like or something. It was like swelling up like a ball. It wasn't totally like, uh, but yeah. Now I'm looking on NBC Sports Edge. Yeah, that, that's what it was. But anyways, Sh- Shams is in the chat at Game Day News NHL uh, with all the updates, and uh, he mentioned that uh, Kemper was poked through the mask, had an eye injury or around the eye that brought this ball that, uh, <laughs> that you're talking yeah. about anyway okay yeah so that'll be fun. i'm so excited brian it's gonna be so fun but first of all we've got to get through the rest of round two then like i said we're going to be doing our drafts it's going to be for the keeping carlson playoff pool for the 20 people who remain we're going to be doing five drafts of four people each and then there's going to be obviously five winners plus we're going to take the best second placer 
Then those six people are going to be going heads up against each other in the finals in three separate heads up matches where the person with the most points will win the overall Keeping Carl's the Playoff pool. And we're going to be broadcasting uh, one of those drafts for next round uh, on this very podcast network. And that's not the only podcast that's going to be coming into your feed this week because we've got some interviews planned for some 32 Beats interviews. I believe we've got the Islanders and the Ottawa Senators in the books. So, you know, no guarantees. Sometimes things have to get rescheduled. But that's the plan. So make sure you are subscribed to Keeping Carlson uh, on your Spotify, your Google Podcasts, your Apple Podcasts. What are I, I use Pocket Casts. Brian, what do you use to listen to podcasts? I use Pocket Casts. Okay, so why, do I, why am I always saying this other stuff? I should be promoting the one that I like the best. Anyways, if you're on Android especially, I, I like Pocket Casts. But anyways, yeah, make sure you're subscribed. You get all our episodes. This is, podcasts are great, right? You just subscribe, you get the episode. You know what? Even if you end up not getting to it, you still download it. That helps us out. So either way, it's a win-win, right? It doesn't cost you unless you like have a restricted amount of bandwidth, in which case maybe go to the library to download your episodes. But anyways, I don't want to tell you how to do your thing. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Thanks so much to the patrons for your support of keeping Carlson and for keeping our discord community really fun throughout the playoffs. Uh, if you want to get some more information about our Patreon program and how you can support us over the summer for just a buck a month, check out keepingcarlson.com slash patron. But with that, Brian, I'm ready to stop talking because you were doing that hand motion saying to get on with it. So let's uh, cue that outro music. And why don't you go ahead and read us the credits? Now I'm doing the head shake motion because I didn't, <laughs> I didn't, you didn't, okay. Uh, this episode of the Keem with Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dabra Hockey and powered by our patrons, including our super supporters, Tyler, Flash, Andrea, Tom, Derek, David, Rob, and Patty. Thanks all so much for your support. Also, you can become a patron, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. Thanks, uh, you know, Shams, who we mentioned before, is still keeping that amazing stream of fantasy news rolling on at Game Day News NHL and at Game Day Lines and at Game Day Goalies, but... All you need to do is go to gamedaytweets.com and you'll see everything you ever wanted to see to know, like, for your fantasy team, but just to keep up on what's going on in the NHL. Uh, logo art by brandonweave.com. Outro music by Pat Roach. This episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey Frozen Tools. Natural stat trick involving hockey cap-friendly, the athletic hockey reference, hockey viz, hockey database, NBC Sports Edge, quanthockey.com. And I think that's it. Okay. Is, is quanthockey.com a new one that you threw in just for this episode? That's, that's, uh, I mean, I occasionally use it, but I used it enough for this episode that it, it deserved to be finally named in the credit. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks to Quant Hockey. Thanks to everyone for listening. Uh, this was supposed to be a short show, but it clearly we just ended up going our normal length. I think it's just like we just have it ingrained in us that if we're getting on a Zoom call, we're going to talk for two hours. But Brian, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for everyone who joined us for the live show. And Brian, I'll, I'll be looking forward to talking to you, I guess, probably in a couple weeks. But like I said, the, the feed is going to be chock full of content. So to the listeners, we'll talk to you soon. Until then, please keep doing what you can to make sure that fantasy hockey is for everyone.